Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode number 61 of Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Baldacci, and today I'm talking with Derek Hart of Get the Gigs, who shares how to build your agency up by niching down. Derek tells us how he took his struggling web design business to new heights by narrowing his focus. Instead of building sites for anybody and everybody, now he's specializing in creating awesome websites for professional speakers. While today he has dramatically increased his rates and brought balance back into his life, the journey of niching down wasn't always easy for him. In this interview, Derek shares the struggles he had as a generalist, why niching down was the answer, his fears going into it, how he developed a true expertise, and how it has completely transformed his business. I've talked to a few other guests about the benefits of niching down, but this interview is different in that you get to hear the unfiltered ups and downs of the transformation as it happened and get advice from someone who's gone through it themselves. If you're tired of getting beat up on price and feel like the client holds all of the power, then this is the episode for you. So without further ado, here's Derek. Derek, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Andy. I'm happy to be here. So today you provide websites and branding for speakers and authors to help them get more gigs, but you didn't always have such a focused specialty. What were you doing before Get the Gigs? Well, I was a generalist, basically. <laughs> I, I was doing websites, uh, graphic design for anybody who had a checkbook. Um, I, you know, I've done them for lawyers, real estate agents, um, retail, restaurants, you name it, all over the board. When that happened, like, because that's... I so I know the answer to this question, but I'm curious to ask because I want to hear from your perspective. When you're working with so many different clients, like how are you finding them? Because right now, when you have that narrow specialty, it's, it's clear who who you serve and how to get after them. But when you're working with with lawyers, realtors, restaurants, how are people finding you, or how are you finding them? I did. A, it was a lot of referrals. Um, and I also did a lot of networking, like going to networking events. There was a time when I was going to three or four a week. Wow. And, um, I, you know, I, I did, uh, power core, which is kind of a, um, competitor of BNI. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, to be honest, I, I hated it. I really didn't like it. You know, I, I really don't enjoy, um, going to a lot of networking <laughs> events, um, you know, nothing against the people there. They're all swell people. But, um, you know, when my at the end of the day, I'd, I'd rather be hanging out at home, you know, playing guitar, right. having fun, you know, enjoying the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. So, so I, yeah, it was it was a, it was just all word of mouth referrals and, uh, you know, out there banging away at networking events. And with that, what, was there a tipping point where you said something has to change or what was it that made you realize you needed to do things differently? I think I was frustrated in my business um, and it was, you know, there was no straw that broke the camel's back or anything. Mm -hmm. There was no one big thing, but it was just years of, you know, I did it that way for about four years. And it, I think the frustration came to a head when I, I, I think I was looking at the bottom line saying like, you know, we're just not growing that much. Right. You know, we, we're, we're kind of stagnant and I, I am working so much for not a lot of money. Right. I've talked to so many agency owners who express that same exact feeling where it's like 
at the end of the week, you don't know where your time went. You're busy the whole time. You're stressed. You're feeling just the pain of it. And then when you actually look at your bank at the end of the week, the month, whatever, the year, it's it's not where you want it to be. And that a lot of people often will shut down the agency and go find a job. What made you decide to stick with the uh, agency? Well, that's exactly the point that I was at. I was frustrated to the point where – um, you know, my wife and I had a, a real serious conversation and um, we decided it was like, look, I'm I'm getting this right or I'm shutting it down. <laughs> and I got to say that if I hadn't um, transitioned to being someone who specializes, I, I don't know that I would still be doing this. I think I probably would have bailed on it. Mm-hmm. How did you make that transition? Because it's not something somewhere you just wake up and one day like, all right, I'm going to start working on web design for speakers. So how did you make that transition? Well, my first step was not necessarily to to niche on with, with speakers. Uh, my first step out of all the frustration was to hire a business coach. Um, it's Gene Hammond, I, I guess. I don't know if you've aired his episode yet, but I know he's been on your show. Yeah, he was just on a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, so I hired him and, and the reason I hired him, um, was because he specialized in web designers. Mm-hmm. And so, um, when we did our first meeting, uh, he hit me with this idea of, it's like, well, have you ever thought about having a specialty? And I was kind of like, well, what do you mean? I'm a web designer. I'm a graphic, you know, I, that's a specialty, right? Right. And, um, he started to sell me on the idea of focusing on a niche market. And at the time, it, I, I was like, this is crazy. This is this is absolutely nuts. I can't do this. You know, what made you um, think that it was crazy? Well, it, it just I think I had the same gut reaction that, that a lot of people have when they hear this concept is that how, how am I supposed to make a living mm-hmm. out of all, you know, just one one industry? I, I've got um, I've got all these people from from all different industries and they're paying me money. Am I supposed to just tell them? buy. Right. Yeah. You know? Um, and so at, at first glance, it's intimidating mm-hmm. to, to hear that. And, it, and, you know, also the knowledge that I, I got to take my entire business, flip it upside down. I need new branding. I need new messaging. Everything's got to change. That's, that's some scary stuff, right? There. Mm-hmm. And so what was it that motivated you to, to buy into this idea of specializing? Eventually through the coaching, um, Gene started to just sell me more and more on the idea. Um, he started telling me about some success stories of, of other clients that, that he had talked into niching. And it was something that, you know, I can't say that it was like a light bulb came on. It's like, I'm going to niche. You know, that's <laughs> the, um, it was, I gradually had to be drugged into it. Mm-hmm. And then, it was kind of a combination of, of being drug into it and being persuaded to try it out. And then kind of at the same time, I was falling into it by accident because it just so happened that a project came around for a speaker. Mm-hmm. So I took the project and then they referred me to a speaker and then they referred me to a speaker. And then I was like, I guess this is my niche now. Right. You know, I, I like these people and I feel like I'm doing good work for them. And so after I had done a couple of those projects, I, I came to Gina. I was like, I, I, I think I found my niche. I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've done a couple of these speaker projects and I, I really enjoy them. It's almost like the, the niche sort of found you at that point. It did. It found me at a time that I was looking for a niche. Exactly. 
And do you remember how Gene overcame some of those hesitations you had with specializing? Because you said he sold you on it and kind of dragged you into it a little bit. But but do you remember what some of those arguments he made to help persuade you were? Yeah, um, so a lot of it was just kind of, um, you know, we do a lot of spitballing of, of, you know, it's like, well, why don't you try this in your business? And you know, offer this service and why don't you try packaging it this way? And the, you know, the more we started to talk, he, he, it just seemed to be a reoccurring theme that he would say is like, look, you know, if you were niching, you could uh, take this package and you could focus it in this way, or you could Mm -hmm. rebrand yourself in this way. And so the ideas just started to kind of, um, come together in a way that they were all around this idea of niching. Mm -hmm. It's funny because in the beginning you said one of the reasons why you worked with Gene was because of his niche, because he worked with other web designers. Did that weigh in at all? You kind of took a step back and said, Hey, this is, this worked for Gene. I I could do this too. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I don't know if I'd call it ironic, but um, that point certainly was never lost on me. Mm-hmm. And so then what was it that you saw in your own words as the benefit of niching down? Because I've had other guests talk about it and a lot of times it's almost taken for granted that specializing is the answer. Specializing will make things easier. In your mind, what were those actual benefits? Why was niching down the answer for your problems? The biggest benefit for me was escaping this um zone of, of kind of being commoditized Mm -hmm. because I don't think that there's a service provider out there who wants to be picked because they were the cheapest. That's kind of a low feeling actually. And so, you know, I, I, um, I started as a, you know, entered out of college at a time when early two thousands, when, um, they were just plucking up designers and and developers left and right. Mm -hmm. If you knew how to code or design, they had a job for you. But then I jumped into out of out of my job in the, you know, out of my own at a very different time in which um, there was a lot of competitions for for designers and jobs were very hard to come by. And so in this span of just, you know, the eight years that I was in the job market, I started to really see how crowded the field had become. Mm-hmm. And by then, you know, people were starting like the overseas work was starting to happen. And that's, you know, if you want to talk about competing on price, you can't compete with those folks. You just can't. No, you can't at all. And like you said, if you if your title is your web developer, web designer, anything like that, that's a skill. And that is truly like if you talk to anyone who has done uh, mess around with, with outsourcing and gone overseas without much experience, it doesn't usually work well. But it is moving towards more and more of a commoditized field. And like you said, you don't want to do that because if you're going to the store to buy, say, any other commodity, if you're going to buy – just think of normal commodities like corn. If you're going to buy any – like potatoes, if you're going to go buy a bolt at the hardware store, for the most part – you're just looking for a bolt. You're just looking for a web designer. You think that they can just solve it. And when that is the mindset, the rates are going to be how you differentiate yourself. And that's not a good spot to be. 
No, it's not. And I, I was very tired at the time of getting beat up on price. And I was very tired of this, this kind of, um, you know, another huge thing about it is I don't, I never noticed how much time I spent proving myself to prospective clients before oh, okay. this. Um, you know, the proposals, the, you know, we're going to have a phone call to schedule a phone call to <laughs> schedule a meeting about a meeting. I hate all that crap. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know anybody who likes that stuff. And so I, I would I would spend all this time doing proposals, setting up phone calls, meetings. And then turns out I was like, well, you know, we found someone who's doing it for a thousand bucks cheaper. <laughs> no, it's like I hadn't thought about it that way. But you're right in the traditional way of respond to RFPs or even just when someone's shopping around for a, a consultant, you're nickel, they're nickel and diming you. They're trying to ask you all these questions. You are selling yourself to them. But when you do have an expertise, things shift because they're coming to you for help. I'm guessing when you went to Gene for help, you weren't interviewing a handful of business coaches. You went to Gene for a reason. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's absolutely accurate. I would not have hired a business coach had there not been one who was specializing in web designers. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you're not if because you're thinking about solving a business problem, and that's why you go to the business coach. It would almost be, it would be kind of crazy to hire whoever has the lowest bid. Obviously, you're going to have some consciousness of price, but what you're really concerned about is value. And, and at the end of the day, that's not the way you get that isn't by just finding the cheapest provider out there. Right. And so now the the shift that has happened is that um, when people come to me, it's, you know, yes, we talk about the price quickly, but mm-hmm. that's not the mitigating factor. The mitigating factor is like, well, you know, I, I've heard you specialize in speakers. And so um, the proposals, the RFPs, uh, the, the, you know, the meetings that drag way too long before you get paid. I haven't done any of those at all since, since I've been focused on speakers. Wow. I, I've had one person and all the speakers I've talked to is like, well, what are you going to do a proposal? And it's like, I, you know, I'm not going to do a proposal. I don't see the need in it. And so it's, it's having a conversation that starts from a standpoint of authority as opposed to, well, you proved to me that you're the right person for this job and then mm-hmm. we'll talk. Mm-hmm. And, and backing up a little bit, because right now, I mean, when did you make the switch? When did Get the Gigs launch? It was around 2014. Mm-hmm. So you've had a few years of this. You've grown your expertise, your reputation, and, and you've clearly figured something out. But when you first made the transition, you said you had pretty much just kind of started working with speakers. You enjoyed them, but you hadn't had dozens of them. You hadn't had a huge kind of portfolio of just speakers. So were you concerned at all? Like maybe this isn't the right path? That. You know, it's always in the back of your head when you're trying out something new. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, you know, I felt good enough about it that I was able to silence, you know, just kind of put those thoughts aside. Um, and the way I overcame that was uh, by doing a ton of research about it. Mm-hmm. I I read everything I could get my hands on. Um, I read probably in that first year alone, I probably read 50 books about you know, written by speakers, written okay. for speakers. I read stuff by Jane Atkinson, who's a client and a terrific uh, speaker coach. I read mm-hmm. 
folks by Michael Port and uh, you name it. If they were, if they had their finger on that pulse of the industry, I was reading it, uh, podcasts. I, I just consumed as much as I could to try and learn about this, this, um, you know, this this industry that I was kind of green to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think there's two sides to it. There's first with a lot of agency owners and even freelancers that I work with, you always hear kind of the fear of just picking the wrong niche when you can change it, when it, when it's not a permanent thing. But the other thing is that once you do settle on a niche for the, at least the time being, you then need to build that expertise. It's not as simple as just slapping on a label and say, hey, I, I'm the guy you go to if you need to work on your website and branding and you're a speaker. In the beginning, that's what it's like, but but you need to actually back that up with some expertise. So you said you kind of just poured through a bunch of books, did all the research you could, but what else was that like? What was that ramp up period where you're truly developing this expertise? What was that like? I, I mean, it's like throwing a dry sponge into water because I, you know, I had, I was getting hit with so much information and I was learning so much. It's, it's like, if you do anything, um, but you know, that learning curve, it's like, wow, I'm, I'm learning so much, but then you, you know, you start to get to a point where it's like, it gets harder and harder to learn new stuff. Um, and, and that's, that's the way it was. It would be like mm-hmm. learning any other skill. Mm-hmm. And so nowadays, I'm, I'm guessing the way you approach a project with your clients today is pretty different than how you took those first few speaking clients. So like, what is different about working with speakers than a traditional web design client, like than working with, say, a restaurant? Well, what I've learned is that speakers have to um, they have to present themselves as an expert who is ready for the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard, a, you know, a lot of the speakers that, that I've talked to on my podcast, they say that, that no one wants to hire a speaker anymore. They want to hire an expert who happens to speak. Interesting. And so everything that I've done has gone back to packaging speakers in that way. So, you know, if I'm, let's say I'm putting together a website, I'm always going to be thinking, okay, how can we position you as the expert? How can we position you as an expert who's ready for the stage? How can we position you as someone who, you know, goes out on a stage and and from all that people can tell from this website that you look like you cost 20 grand. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, they got to look like they're getting a tremendous value for, for putting the speaker on the stage. Like the, the speaker is going to come in and solve some real problems for be it an, an organization or a nonprofit or, or whoever's bringing the speaker in. What is when it, when a client does come to work with you now, how do you, they've obviously heard that you work with speakers, that that's your, your reputation. A lot of them I'm guessing are from referrals, but do you have, is there some way that you onboard them to kind of share this expertise with them and explain why this is so valuable, why these things do matter? Yeah, I do the, you know, I, I, I have leads that I nurture, Mm -hmm. um, that come in through email marketing, social media, my podcast referrals. Um, one of the things I did early in niching. And I think that's, it's, it's one of the best moves I made was that I made some, some really key allies in the business. And, and I made uh, quick friends 
with some folks that are influential that have a mm-hmm. big name in the speaking industry and who are willing to to say look Derek's your guy when you need a website mm-hmm. and so how did that change the relationship when people are, are now coming to you and, and you're the guy because before I remember you said in emails before we were setting up this interview that sometimes it felt like you were fighting tooth and nail to get low playing paying jobs from clients who just wanted the cheapest, fastest solution. So today, what is it like when a client comes to work with you? Well, when a client comes to work with me, it's um, given that they've come through one of those sources of, mm-hmm. of lead nurturing or a referral, um, there's a reputation that prece- precedes me. And uh, the tone of the conversation, you know, like I was talking about before, is much different because we've already jumped past that point of, um, proving myself of being the right person, they come to me as an authority to say, okay, look, I've got this problem. How can you help me out with this? And so instead of asking those questions of, you know, are you the right fit for this job? It's more like I'm pretty, you know, they come to me pretty sure that I'm the right fit. And so it's a matter of like, well, can they afford me? Um, you know, can we, can we get on the schedule to work together? Do I have packages that, Mm -hmm. that fit their needs? Mm -hmm. And so when a client comes on board, um, typically, you know, within a matter of a a 30 minute phone call, it's, it's a yes or a no. Interesting. And and you're not, you're no longer setting up phone calls to set up phone calls to set up meetings. You're, they see the value. They, they want to work with you. They're almost selling themselves to you so that when it comes time to closing the deal and moving forward, it seems like it's much, much easier now than it was before. Yeah. And another thing I did, and this was, um, um, another, I mean, this is probably one of the, the best moves I've made in my business is that instead of any kind of proposals or, um, you know, having like a uh, an onboarding meeting or, or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, after we do our phone call to get to know each other, um, I schedule a strategy session for with them that that we spend you know anywhere between two and four hours, and I charge them five hundred dollars for that. Okay. And then what we do is um, I say, okay, you you got two choices. What you can do, you can take what I've given you here, and you can be on your merry way. Or you can use it as a, a down payment on your project. And um, nine out of 10 times, they're ready to go with the project. And so I'm still using that time to, to give them good, solid information and help them with their problems. Uh, but we're putting a lot of strategy into it up front mm-hmm. that's only going to make the, the, the web project that much smoother. Yeah, I've had other guests come on to talk about that exact strategy. And a lot of times it's referred to as road mapping, where instead of just giving kind of a blanket proposal to someone, it's a much more interactive, collaborative session where they don't need to go with you, but you're going to lay out everything that you want to do for them. And then at the end, you give them the choice of saying, hey, you can take this, you can shop around, you can do whatever, or you can just stick with me. I'll let me run with this. We'll get it through. And I've seen different ways of doing it somewhere. The payment for the roadmapping session, it doesn't apply towards the project. And how did you first come up with this idea? Was this something from Gene from somewhere else? Or did you just sort of come up with it on your own? It was something that Gene and I had talked about. And I had also heard it from uh, other sources. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and it just, you know, given how much my, my hatred for proposals, <laughs> um, it just seemed like a, a smart solution. And it takes, I think, some guts to do it that first right. couple of times. But then when you, when you put it out there and someone bites, there's no turning back. Mm-hmm. Because that's a huge shift from the proposal mindset. Instead of proving yourself and just giving away everything you have for free, you're now saying, hey, this strategy is valuable and I'm going to charge for it. What was that, that like that, that first time where you actually did charge for it? Well, the first time I put it out there, I was like, you know, probably pretty timid about it. It's mm-hmm. like, well, we could do a strategy, <laughs> you know. And and in my mind, I'm I'm probably sweating bullets, yeah. you know, not knowing if they're going to say yes or not. And then, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure the first one I put out there, they're like, yeah, let's do it, let's get on a strategy session. Mm-hmm. And um, after you get that first one, it's easy. Yeah, you know, it, it's it becomes second nature. And so now I do it, and it's just it's so ingrained into to how I onboard a customer that it's. You know, it's it's just part of my day is waking up and having a cup of coffee in the morning. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's funny because in with so many freelancers and, and agencies, when a client comes to them, they're they're chomping at the bit to just get started right away. And with the strategy session, the difference is that you're saying, "Whoa, let's slow down and make sure we know what's necessary before we get into this." You're using expertise and saying, "Hey." This is the way I work. This is the way I'm going to get you the best results. I'm going to need to ask you some questions up front. We're going to need to figure out your goals. We're going to need to go all through this so that when we get the project complete, it is what you want it to be. And that is just such a huge mindset change from basically working with anybody who has an open checkbook. Yeah. And I think it's something that that's come with experience for me. In that um, I've done projects, I think we all have done projects where, you know, you just get a bunch of files and it's like, go. And then um, it's, they always find a way to fail to me. Um, And so uh, now I I refuse to be put in that position. I, you know, I've, I've worked long enough in this business and I've built up enough experience that I can say, you know, I refuse to be kind of just thrown something and have to work with, with materials that, that might be 60% there. Mm-hmm. Right. Because this is now you're the expert. So you, you kind of dictate not necessarily the terms, but you dictate the way things are going to go because that's your job. The client is coming to you to help them. And if you are the expert, you should know the best way to help them instead of just letting the client take over and just following anything and everything that they say. Right. And when I was a generalist, that's what was happening because you would get a client and they would say, all right, well, look, I need the website by so-and-so. It has, has this, this, and this, and this. And um, so now it's more like the client says, well, what do we do? What do we exactly. do now? And with that mindset change, how have your rates changed from your days of a generalist to where they are today? They they're up. They're 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 up by a lot. Um, So I'm almost embarrassed to say it. But when I was, uh, you know, as as short as just maybe four or five years ago, I was doing websites for fifteen hundred bucks. Okay. Um, And like I even saying that out loud, I just cringe at the thought of it because that was just too, too cheap to be doing websites. Mm -hmm. Um, and so now they're at a price point of around $5,000 general. And it's, I, I had to do a, a pretty good amount of adjusting my prices 
for to make it fit in a speaker's budget. Mm-hmm. And so for the most part, I'm charging them what a median speaker would charge for a speech. Interesting. And so in there, how do you do you do anything to anchor that price point in their mind? Like, do you compare it to how much they will make from a speech and that if they go with you and get you get them even just one extra speech, it'll pay for yourself? Do you say anything like that? No, I never really have had to. Um, usually it's I tell them the price and they say, OK. And then a couple of them have said, well, I can't afford that at all. And that's that's that. You know, mm-hmm. that's um, there's there's only two ways you can answer. A, right. When someone you know tells you what the price is like, well, I'm, I'm going to pay that or I'm not. Right. And, and before that wasn't how things went when you when I'm sure when you when you gave your clients the price, because now it's this is what you charge. The question is. Does it fit in your budget? Because they've already said they want to work with you. It's now a question of if they can't afford you. Whereas before, if they balked, I'm, I'm sure you would go back and, and you would change your price. Or maybe you, you would work on the scope or just work with them because you needed those jobs more. Yeah. I mean, what choice do you have when you're when you're scraping by? And it's, it's not a great position to be in professionally. Mm-hmm. But um, – Sure. I mean, you, you just sometimes you get the living crap beat out of you on pricing and and you just have to sit back and take it. Mm-hmm. And so now that, that you have had this several year experience as working with speakers almost exclusively, how are, are those speakers finding you? Is it primarily from referrals? Are there other channels that are coming in from where? Where are they coming to you? It's mostly referrals. Um, I've the the folks that um, that are kind of more influential in the business. They've, uh, done a fantastic job of, of referring me. Um, I also make a point to, uh, be active in where they go for their meetings. Um, which is another kind of key point I would, I would bring up as far as having a niche is, is you, you're going to want to try to get an invitation to the clubhouse at some point and go to where they are. Interesting. So, you know, ingratiate yourself to their community. And in my case, I go to um, NSA, which is National Speakers Association, not the people who uh, frisk at the <laughs> airports. And um, I've, I've had a good run being a part of their community and, and they've accepted me, you know, as if I were a speaker. And so how do you cultivate those relationships? How do you go to these events without making it seem like, you're just there to to land more clients. Like, how do you actually genuinely build relationships like that? I just go there and talk to people. Uh, you know, I, I go there and I talk, and um, I don't force what I do on anybody. If if they want to ask me what I what I do, I'm happy to tell them. Um, and that's usually about all it takes. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if if they're in the need of a website, they'll they'll call me, or um, maybe they'll be in need down the road, which is fine by me as well. Um, but you know, I, I just go in and I just talk to people, just put my hand out there and say, Hey, I'm Derek. How's it going? And just let conversation take care of the rest. But at this point, I'm guessing you, you're not going to those three or four networking events every single week, handing out business cards every chance you get, are you? No, no, I, I would not go to one of those. Um, unless, it sounds kind of cocky to say, I guess, but, um, I wouldn't go to a networking event unless it was a room full of, uh, you know, prime candidates for, to work with me. Mm-hmm. And because that's the thing is that if you don't have a specialty, if you don't have a niche, it's really hard to find a room full of people that you serve because you don't even know where to look. You can look at the 
the more generalist networking events where you have businesses from all over the place. You can look at Chamber of Commerce, that type of thing. But it's really hard for your message to resonate when it's just so generic. I think that if you're doing any kind of service where you're selling intellectual property, and, and that's what we do mm-hmm. as agency owners, we're selling IP, you know. Um, if you do any kind of service like that, I think the world is getting to a place where you have to have a focus. Mm-hmm. I, you know, if you're an author, um, unless you're you're Stephen King or somebody <laughs> who can just write this, you know, amazing, and most of us aren't that person, um, I think you have to have a very narrow focus. I think if you're um, any kind of coach, you have to have a, a kind of a narrow focus. And, and I think that's just where the information age has taken us. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting because you said that when, when you first came out of school, when you first were entering the job market, it was a, a time where designers, developers were getting hired all over the place. It, it was easy. And then things changed. And I mean, still, in the development side of things, if you're in specific markets, if you're on Silicon Valley, if, if you're in New York, if you're in some of those major markets, a generalist development shop can get clients without specializing. But that's not to say that by being a generalist, they're maximizing their earnings because it still is a commodity. That commodity just has a high price right now. Right. Or if you were someone who, who got in earlier, you know, been around for years right. – Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if you've built up that kind of capital that every five, Fortune 500 company wants to work with you, then more power to you. Right. But um, it's it's kind of the same thing as, as not all authors can be Stephen King. You know, that's mm-hmm. definitely the exception to the rule. Right. It's not and it's not repeatable. So if, if you're in that place, great. Congratulations. But if you're not. That advice won't help someone get there because it's all about right place at the right time sort of thing. So for people who aren't in that place or even for people who are doing okay right now but but want to do better, want to increase their rates, it really seems like specializing is a good way of doing that. So I'm curious, what is your advice to some of those generalists who are currently struggling to get clients? They're struggling with being nickeled and dimed at every every chance. How would you suggest for them to get their feet wet with niching down? I would say um, really try to hone in on where you're doing meaningful work. Um, When I started uh, to try to do this, I kind of wrote a Venn diagram um, in which one circle was I enjoy working with these people. Mm -hmm. One circle was these folks have the money to pay me. And the other circle was I'm capable of, of doing good work providing good solutions for these folks. And so where they meet, for me, that was my niche. And so um, it's it's not easy. It, there's a lot of work involved, but I, I would say really zero in on where where you've done the most meaningful work. Go back and look at, you know, these projects were, were meaningful. They went well. The budget was good. And think about where you want to do more of those. Mm-hmm. And, and for you, did you just right away put up a new website, change your brand and all of this? Or, or what was that transition like? I know you said you read every book you could get your hands on, but what was that the more public facing side of the business like? Did you right away change that as well? I did. Once I had made up my mind that I was going to focus on speakers, um, 
I think I probably had the website and a logo up in a weekend. Wow. <laughs> um, I just did it. I just, I sat down and I was like, oh, get the gigs and sounds kind of <laughs> cool. And I, I so I, you know, I can't say that I, 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 well, you know, I did put a ton of thought. In. It sounds bad to say that, but I mean, it just—it was kind of one of those things that just kind of came to me. So I, I just, I, I really hustled and, and put it together quickly in a weekend. I think. Mm-hmm. And once that came up, did you? How quickly were you putting out content? How quickly were you trying to really establish yourself at, in your expertise in that field? I would say fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, well, one of the reasons I, I should note that one of the reasons that I, I put that together so fast, I kind of had to, I had a, um, speech, I was given a speech for, for an NSA chapter. And so I was like, well, I better have it together and, and have materials that they can, that I can leave with them and, and a website that they can go to. And, um, so that's, that's when I started generating materials and then, mm-hmm. uh, it, 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 um, I'm lucky in that my wife is uh, great with social media. She's great with blogs, blog ideas. And so she would, you know, come up with a list of like, here's 10 things of, of blog topics for you, for you to write on. Um, so I, I, I did start cranking out content pretty quickly, I would say. Mm-hmm. And at that point, were you turning away non-speaker clients? Not really. Okay. Um and that's another thing that I would I would point out is that um, if you're the one calling the shots, you don't have to say no to anybody you don't want to say no to. Exactly. If you still want to work with, um, you know, people that are outside of your niche, there's nobody stopping you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't say that I just, you know, basically called everybody who wasn't a speaker and was like, all right, we're done here. <laughs> um, I, I phased them out for the most part. Some of them left through attrition. Um, and then some of them, some of them I did have conversations with and say, and just say, look, I'm not your guy anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of them I said, all right, I'm going to do this for another two or three months while you find the right solution. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, a couple of them I kept yeah. because, you know, they were good clients and they paid well and, and they paid the bills on time. And, um, there was no reason for me, you know, especially starting out in this new niche, there was no reason for me to, to get rid of something that, that was paying the rent. And I think that's one of the biggest fears a lot of agency owners have when they niche down is that, like you said, I'm serving all of these different markets. I can't just say no to everybody. And while you're changing your marketing, you're the one making the rules. You don't actually have to say no to them. Like you, Your goal should be to phase out the clients that don't pay well, don't treat you well, that aren't fun to work with. But if you have a great client is paying their bills on time, you're happy with the rates, you don't need to to let them go. And, and speaking to your other point about putting up the site right away, I've also spoken with other agency owners who have made the transition a bit more slowly and have just tossed up a simple landing page while while figuring things out and while testing the waters to make sure that something was there and, and done the transition from their core business slowly over to the specialized business as more and more clients come in. I think Whatever works for you is fine, but at the end of the day, I really do think you hit it on the head is that you're the one making the rules. So don't let some of these fears stop you from trying these things out because if it doesn't work, you can go back to what you're already doing. But if you're not happy with what you're doing right now, you should probably try something else. Right. And, you know, if we can't have – to me, that that whole experimenting inside your business – 
is what makes it fun to, mm-hmm. to get up and and hit the hit, hit work every day. Mm-hmm. And so why would you ever want to stop experimenting and trying new things within your business? To me, that would get really boring and, and you'd end up, you know, really hating your job. Or at least I would, I think. Right. And I mean, so many of us get into these, the creative services industry to get away from the traditional job. But then we look down a couple of years later and we have a job that often doesn't even pay that well. So I, I think you need to, you owe it to yourself to experiment to try to build a better agency for yourself. Yeah. And, you know, some of the things that, look, I, I kicked around other niches mm-hmm. and uh, they were, they weren't good ideas. And so, you know, I, I just, I let them, I let them die on the vine. And, and I think that that's the way you got to approach making this kind of transition is, is do some experimenting, do a little, you know, try things out, try mm-hmm. a project out here and there. Um, you wouldn't just go on a date with somebody and then marry them, <laughs> you know, you date a couple people and, and find the one who's, who's the right, right choice for you. Exactly. It doesn't have to be forever right away. You can, you can see and make sure it works before really committing to it. Absolutely. And so before we wrap up, I like to ask all of my guests a few just rapid fire questions. The questions will be quick, but your responses don't have to be and don't worry about overthinking them, anything like that. So all right. the first one is just what do you spend too much time doing? I spend too much time, uh, believe it or not, designing and developing. Um, I think I'm at my best when I'm doing strategy work for clients. Mm-hmm. And so one of my big goals in 2017 is to uh, find a developer that I can work with who's way better than me and find a designer who's way better than me and put their talents to good use. Interesting. And then if you had all that time back, what would you spend it on? What are you currently not spending enough time on? I'd probably hike and play guitar more and, you know, not – be in front of a computer <laughs> it's uh, like, and, and, and also uh, promote, do things to promote the business. Right. Time. Do the, the higher value tasks that don't necessarily take a lot of time, but um, they, they let you leverage your most valuable assets. Right. And so that also ties in pretty well to my next my last question is what are the long-term plans for get the gigs? Well, my long-term plans are, uh, to completely dominate the market for speakers, for websites, for speakers. And eventually I'd like to get to a point to where um, in a month, every quarter, whenever it happens, I enroll, um, you know, six to 10 people at one time and I put them through like a website boot camp. Mm-hmm. And in a couple of days, they walk away with a website using framework that I built and getting help from designers that are on my team. How far down the road do you think that is? I have very high hopes for doing one in 2017. Awesome. Well, if you do, let me know. I'll, I'll get a link up there for everyone if they want to check that out. But um, I want to say just thanks so much for sharing everything with us today, Derek. Honestly, we covered a lot. This is something that I'm pretty passionate about because I've seen how much of a difference it can make just in making it easier to find clients and also in finding good clients that you actually want to work with because – at the end of the day, like you said, the rest of your life is important. It's not all work. And if that can't be enjoyable, then you should probably reevaluate things. So I think specializing is a good way to do that. But 
Before we do say goodbye, if listeners want to follow your journey or just learn more about you, where is the best place for them to go? They can go to getthegigs.com, and I have a podcast on there. I'm active on Twitter, fairly active, I guess. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's that's where they can find me. Awesome. I'll make sure you get all of that linked up in the show notes. And just want to say thanks again, Derek, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Andy. I'll come right out and say it. Niching down isn't for everybody, but more agencies need to give it a second thought because their generalist approach is probably holding them back. And I've heard all of their concerns before. How am I supposed to make a living from just one industry? Am I just supposed to say no to everyone outside of that industry? What if I pick the wrong niche? Won't I get bored on working the same products every day? And honestly, those are fair questions, but you know what? If you're tired of putting on the dog and pony show to win new business, if you're tired of working long hours for little pay, if you're tired of constant price shopping by prospects, then isn't it worth at least a second look. Derek didn't get into freelancing for the stressful life he was living as a generalist, and while he had plenty of fears about niching down, he knew something had to change, so he gave it a shot, and in the end, it paid off. Today, he shares some great tips about how you can make the change in your own agency, so take them to heart and think twice while building up your agency by niching down. That's all I have for you this week. If you enjoyed the show and learned something, head over to iTunes and leave a review. Tell me what it was that you learned. I love hearing from listeners, and positive reviews help us grow our audience. So if you could take a second to do that, I'd really appreciate it. And don't forget, if your agency is looking to hire remote contractors or maybe even looking for a few extra projects and are tired of paying huge fees to Upwork, head over to talent.hubstaff.com and create a profile. It's 100% free. All right, I'll talk to you next week. See ya.